fine. So, we... Okay, we um, discovered the problem that a person could contemplate in a genuine capacity, and yet, despite all of their contemplation, not produce the visceral emotions that one would expect that one should produce. Right? And in the note we said this has to do with the nature of one's soul, that a soul who comes from this level of gestation, meaning that the intellectual faculties are developed, but the emotional faculties of the soul are not developed, cannot produce the feelings of love and fear towards Hashem that a fully developed soul, one that comes from the level of birth, will be able to produce. So this is not due to a lack of willingness, lack of trying, a lack of know-how. Um, it's not due to one's lack of spiritual um, sensitivity to their soul. It has to do with that the soul is just incapable of producing that kind of visceral response to godliness. So that sounds like a bad thing, right? Okay. So now, um, it, the altar does acknowledge that that doesn't mean that no love is produced. So we're going to go back a little bit before the note where it says, but the love. He says, but the love is hidden in one's brain and in the recesses of one's heart. So love is produced, but that love, while it's not what's called a revealed love, it exists, and he mentions the two places it exists. It exists um, hidden in the brain and in the inner recesses of the heart. Okay. Now, One of the difficulties with, with rabbinic writing I mentioned before is the long run-on sentences, which makes it hard to, and especially in English because there's more words in the run-on sentences. So I'm a bit of a, of a debate within myself, and I've been over the past few days of how I want to approach it. Do I want to explain and then read or read and then explain or read and stop and explain what's going to be the easiest thing for you? Um, what I think is going to be easiest um, is for me to do some general explaining first and then read the text. So we're kind of oriented. So, what I would like to do is I would like to talk about three levels. So we're going to go outside the text, and then eventually, um, if, once we finish this, we'll go back into the text and try and, having been oriented, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to see, it'll stand out to us what the altar is trying to convey in the words. Okay? Kind of we'll know what we're looking for, in other words. Um, there are different levels of what I'm going to call broadly an emotional response to contemplation. Now, in Hasidus, broadly speaking, they're grouped into five different levels. For our purposes today, we're only going to mention the first three. Why are we going to only mention the first three? Because that's what's needed to understand this chapter. I'm mentioning that there are five simply that you are aware that there's these higher levels. And the rule is one cannot progress from the lower level to the higher level without passing through intermediate levels. Okay? So... What we're going to do is we're going to talk about emotional responses to money. That's what we're going to use as our stand-in, just so we can kind of like have an anchor point. So we can talk about the experience. We know we're... Um, right. So let's start off with um, what is our feelings regarding wealth? 
Okay, and by wealth here, I mean not just money to pay my bills, but like genuine wealth. Okay, the way I like to think of the cutoff point of when you are wealthy is when you no longer care how much things cost. Does that make a kind of intuitive sense? Okay, are there people who live that way? What? I mean, granted, if you start deciding that you want to spend a billion dollars here and a billion dollars there, you're going to care what things cost, right? But like if you want to go on vacation, do you check the price? and decide whether you can afford it? Okay, is there a class of people that wouldn't feel the need to do that? Like whatever it's gonna cost, you can afford it. It's, not, it's like a non-issue, right? You know, an, an, an extra $20,000 here, an extra $50,000 there, it's not like, you know, it's not a big deal. It's a different way of living, right? Okay. But it's more than just monetary wealth. Only monetary wealth, that's all I care about right now. It's monetary wealth, okay? Okay? So there are people who are not wealthy, and there are people who are wealthy. Okay, what are your feelings towards wealth? Not your thoughts, but your feelings. And you know what the answer to that is? You don't really have any, probably. Is love a feeling? Love is a feeling. But how could you love wealth if you've never really experienced? So what I want to talk about is why you probably don't have any feelings towards wealth. Okay? And then we'll backtrack what you might have that's not a feeling. Okay? Um, feelings, we said, are things that you actually, for, on, on, on the, on the, you actually experience them very viscerally. Okay? That's one level of feelings. Another level of feelings is that they're very motivating. They drive you. So here's an asked question, right? Have you ever woken up and felt a sense of dread because you will never be wealthy? Have you ever felt the urge you must do something in order to achieve your wealth or pursue your wealth? Most people, that just doesn't really happen, right? Now, is it true if someone were to offer you to be wealthy, you would take them up on it? Most people would say yes, yeah? So you have this interesting sense where you are like pro-wealth, but you also feel completely disconnected from it. Like it's, it's not... It's something that you can appreciate and maybe would like to have, but don't necessarily actually relate to it as a genuine part of your life. By the way, there are people who are not like that. There are people who genuinely feel like wealth is an important part of life, even if they're not wealthy yet. What, do those people live life very different way? What would be an example of something that's different about such a person? Someone who like has an emotional relationship with wealth, even if they're not currently wealthy. An emotional relationship? Yeah. Well, you don't get wealthy by being stingy, do you? If you're being stingy, you're saving me money. Yeah, it doesn't get you wealthy. That's, that's a different trait. Do you know anybody who's wealthy? Do you know anybody who's trying to become wealthy? Yes. Really trying to become wealthy? Mm-hmm. Okay, what does their, what is, what is, what is their life look like? They're in business right now. What? They're working. They're working. What do you mean? Like they go to work nine to five? No. No. So what do you mean that they're working? They're just like trying to figure it out. When are they not working? Here's an interesting question. What? They're not trying to be wealthy. Maybe they're a little bit deluded. They're not really trying to be wealthy. Someone who's not wealthy, you know how you become wealthy? 
gambling. That doesn't make you wealthy. This is this is no. This is important. This is important because there's this there's this other thing which I wasn't going to mention, which is called fantasy. Fantasy is an entirely different thing. Okay. Okay. That's someone who's a fantasy of wealthy. Someone who actually has a, an emotional relationship with the reality of being wealthy. You get other people to do it for you. How do you get other people? You spend money. Okay. Um, do you become wealthy by just like saving money with some safe passive investments? No. no. Okay. Do you become wealthy by taking very, very big risky investments? What's that? What's that? What's that? What's it? Some people. That's pretty rare, actually. Which part? Getting wealthy by taking risky investments. If you really want to become wealthy, you need to figure out how to become wealthy. That's number one. There is a science to this, and it has a cost. And it's not guaranteed that you're guaranteed to be successful, but like you could figure out how to do it. Okay? For instance, I'll give you some examples, some, some tips about how to become wealthy. You say, Rabbi Kaufman, if you're so good at this, why don't you do it? I mean, first off is because it, 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 it's very demanding. Um, so risky investments are a good way um, to end up without money. On the other hand, if you can figure out investments which, eat, uh, which can have a lot of returns if they succeed, and you can figure out how to make a lot of different ones that are all independent of each other, so you only need one or two to succeed in order to become very wealthy. So I invest in like 25 different things, and I know 24 are going to fail, and I'll lose all my money, but statistically, one or two will succeed tremendously. Okay. But then what does that mean? I need to be actively looking for those kinds of investments, right? Is that something that just comes to me like when I'm just like casually pursuing my life? Or is that something I have to be in the active lookout for all the time? Okay. I also have to make sure that I have the cash flow to invest, right? It's like there's a whole lifestyle that goes around this, right? Or what if I want, what if I want to start a company to become wealthy, right? So... Um, is the, is the company just going to naturally just be, make me wealthy or am I going to have to figure out how to do that and run the company and figure out how to right, right, expand to different sites? Right? If you start looking at people who get, become wealthy by not just inheriting wealth but actually making themselves wealthy, you know what you start to see? A lot of hard work, a lot of investment, a lot of hyper-focus. You all see horrible marriages, by the way, very often. So, trade-off. That's right. Okay. Um, in other words, it comes down to a certain kind of psychological thing. The person has a sense that my fulfillment in my life is having this kind of wealth. And therefore, it becomes something they experience as like a genuine need. There's an urgency. There's a, there's, a, there's a commitment. There's a devotion. There's all these kinds of things, right? Now, that's a kind of psychological... And it affects how they, how they, how they, how they live. Um, it affects how they regulate their time, how they, what they're willing to forego, right? It has all these kinds of consequences and kind of effects. Um, if you don't feel that way, then what's your attitude? Is like wealth is a nice thing, but it doesn't really, it's not something I really, really need as part of my life. And, Unless you happen to be already wealthy, you don't really see it as something that is ever going to be really truly relevant to your life. Because, like, realistically, how are you going to become wealthy? 
what are you going to do? You're going to like go live one of those lives of the person who's like an investor running a business and, 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 and figuring out how to build it and build it and build it and build it and build it until they become fabulously wealthy. Is that how what you're, is that the life you want to live? Is that how you see yourself? Because if you don't see yourself, then, then wealth is just like a good thing that has no relevance to you. And, and imagining being wealthy is just fantasizing. Does that make sense? You, well, there's an interesting halacha. There's a, there's a question whether gambling is permitted. And there's a difference between Ashkenazim and Sephardim. The general rule by Sephardim is gambling is forbidden. And Ashkenazim, it's complicated. So there's a question, can, a, can you buy a lottery ticket if you're a Sephardi? Is that a form of gambling? So one of the halachic authorities makes the following interesting ruling. He says, when you buy a lottery ticket, why are you buying a lottery ticket? You want to win one. No. Some people buy a lottery ticket. I mean, that's what people say, but we've already had this discussion before that people like self-report that a thing. Right, there's a feeling, right? The, the 24 hours or 48 hours between buying a lottery ticket and the drawing gives your, helps really enrich the joy of your fantasy life. <laughs> that's what the pull of it. It's not like the person like really thinks like one second. If you were to ask the person, it's like, do you really expect to make the money and that's why you're purchasing this ticket? You get to think about it with the way that, that, and because like there's a number attached, you can like, it helps make the fantasy more vivid and that's, so I'm just pointing this out that there is this whole other thing called fantasy. But the reality of things is that a person, you know, a person's like, well, if I knew that I wasn't going to win the lottery, I would never purchase the ticket. I mean, there's very few people that are like that because I think most people know they're not going to win. They would like to win. They like to, and it's very enjoyable to imagine what life might be like if you win. But at the end of the day, your life is not actually that life. You're not, and if it was really that important to you to be fabulously wealthy, that really meant something to you, then, then that would change the course of how you live your life, the choices you make, how you regulate your, your, how you spend your time, your money, who your friends are, what you pay attention to, what you don't pay attention to. That makes sense? Okay. So most of us, we can like think about being wealthy and it's like a good thing and it seems great and if it would be handed to us on a silver platter, we would take it, but we don't have any real emotional connection to it. It doesn't, it doesn't have a sense of that this is part of who I am in my life and therefore I don't really feel a strong emotional bond or with that, okay? I just can accept it. it's a good thing. Okay, What's love? that's level one. Level one is accepting that something is a positive thing and you would definitely take it if you could, but you don't necessarily feel any strong bond to it. It doesn't really, it doesn't, you don't have any personal attachment to it. Okay, what would be level two? Level two would be, um, let's say you are running your own business. Emphasis, this emphasis has to be your own business. You are not an employee. You are running your own business. Okay. Do you care whether or not you are making money if you're running your own business? Do you care whether or not you're losing money? Are those the same feeling, by the way? No. For instance, somebody who cares a lot about making money but doesn't feel a sufficient degree of aversion to the risk of losing money might run their business quite recklessly, right? Conversely, someone who feels too much concern about losing money, right, not a strong desire to make money, right, might end up running their business very conservatively, right, and not expanding when opportunities go because the risk averse, right? There's actually two different things. Make sense? 
But would you say somebody's like running their business and they don't actually feel an aversion to the loss of money when they see their expense sheets? Like every bit that something costs, it irks to them, it, it grates them just a tiny bit. And every time there's more, a little more income coming in, that, that's something that they see as positive. And not just it, looking at it in the after effect, also prospectively, right? When they're planning things out, when they're, right? So they are actually emotionally invested in, you know, the, 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 uh, avoiding loss and risk on the one hand and maximizing profits on the other hand. And of course, temperament is going to change exactly the ratio of those things. That makes sense. Those are th- and you see how that's a very that person you can already say they have some sort of feelings towards something in a way that the first person doesn't. Okay, but now here's the thing: if you're running your business, are you in a highly emotional state all the time? Are you feeling so nervous? I'm gonna lose one. Is that, is that how a person running their business feels? Right? Are they feeling ecstatic at the thought of every possible sale being made? No. So there's this kind of emotional attachment on the one hand that has like this sense of, of, of kind of a positive enthusiasm for making money and, a, and an aversion and a fear of losing money. But it's not very visceral. It's not very tangible. It doesn't, you don't feel it in your flesh. Now, what happens though if you're running your own business and you just make a major sale? Do you feel that in your flesh? Do you actually physically experience that emotion? I think so. Yeah. What if, God forbid, the opposite, you just lost a lot of money? Okay. So there we've already moved into a place where the emotions are really tangible. They're really emotions in the full manifest sense of what an emotional experience is. Okay. So again, what are the three levels? Level number one is, I can accept that this is a good thing, this is a great thing. I would even like to have it, but I don't actually feel any bond or connection with it. Right. And there's a... Right? because it seems so remote and so outside of my life. In fact, really getting into it would be kind of like fantasizing more than actual real relationship. Okay. Then there's a second thing where I feel a connection to something, I feel engaged with something, I'm personally invested in it, I have positive and negative emotions in relationship to it, but those, those are more motivational than they are experienced. They're driving me to act and conduct myself in certain ways rather than I'm actually feeling the emotion as like a tangible embodied experience. And then there's emotion where something that matters to me is so real and so profound that it actually affects the way I physically feel, right? You know, the ecstatic joy, a sense of loss, a sense of anxiety and fear, whatever the case might be. Are those three categories clear, distinct in everybody's mind? Because if they're not, then I want to spend more time clarifying them. If they are, then we can go forward. Good? Okay. Of how you can have an emotional feeling towards something. In which the first one is actually a lack of an emotional feeling. But still you have some sort of an, a, a sense of it. Right? You sense that being wealthy would be a positive thing. Which is why if someone were to offer you to be wealthy and you believe that the offer was genuine, you would take it in a moment. Okay. Good? Okay. There are two effects of contemplation. Okay. One effect of contemplation 
is getting you to perceive, getting you to see the reality of something. The other effect of contemplation is that it become, you see how it is relevant to you. The person, who, the, the person who thinks that wealth is a great thing to have, they have sufficiently pondered wealth that they see wealth as a positive thing, right? Materially speaking, right? There's some basic thing, like you can just do whatever you want without having to worry. That seems like a positive thing. But at no point have they ever developed any sense that that has any relevance to them and who they are in their life. Then there's a totally different kind of thing where a person has a sense that this is relevant to me and then that changes their kind of sense of themselves, a sense of what they need for fulfillment. And then at that point, they actually would start having that second level, that level of like an, an, an emotional investment in something. Okay. So I'm going to throw out a question. Why is it important to do a mitzvah? To connect to To connect to Hashem. So here's the question. A, is that just a piece of information? Or B, is that something that you sense is real? Or C, that's something that's important to you? In other words, you gave a piece, yeah, it connects you to Hashem. Okay, fine. Is that just like a piece of information? Or is like, no, no, no. Doing a mitzvah connects you to Hashem. That's a real thing. That's 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 a thing that's happening in the world. And that's how you sense it. That's you're aware of that. That's really happening. It's not just a piece of information, just an answer you say. Or is it something else that I get? No, it's, 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 it's something that I need because that's the way I connect to Hashem. I need to connect to Hashem and that's how that happens. Those are three very different ways of, three different things a person can mean when they say the same words. Like say, a mitzvah connects you to Hashem is just a piece of information. They, they, they studied the topic in Judaism and they understand that that's the answer in Judaism. Or like, no, that's the, rea- the reality is a mitzvah connects a person to God. Or the sense is like, the mitzvah is the way I meet my need to be connected to Hashem. Those are three very different things. Now, if it's just a piece of information, you could know that information, you could understand it very, very perfectly, and it has what effect on how you live your life? Zero. That make sense? What if you have the second? You know that a mitzvah connects you to Hashem. Like that is true. That is absolutely 100. You have, you have come to terms with that, that that is the reality of, of, of existence. Mitzvahs connect you to Hashem. How is that going to affect you? You will want to do them? No. You won't want to do them. But you will do them. You will do them, but you won't want to do them. We have to differentiate those. Okay. Why, 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 why is that enough? Why is that not enough to make you want to do a mitzvah? Because it doesn't register personally. Why not? How does it? So, do you? Let's go back to this. Do you want to be wealthy? And I don't mean want that you just like it would be nice if it was. Do you like really feel the need to be wealthy? Yes or no. Yes, you in particular. Um, I don't think it's like a real. What? I don't think it's like a real. No, why not? Um, it's 
So I would say it's probably something to do with that you can conceive of yourself living a fulfilled life without being wealthy. Right? Can you conceive of yourself living a fulfilled life without being connected to God Almighty? That's a, that's, really? If we're going to be very honest? Yeah, You can't. So let, let, me, let me explain a life to you, yeah? Get married. You have a family. People are happy. People are healthy. You're doing things that are recognized by your community as valuable, right? You're engaging in activities which give, give you outlets for your creative, creative tendencies, right? Um, why is that not fulfilling? Like that wouldn't be, like as a human being, that wouldn't be fulfilling life? No, but think about th- think about like think about it. Just go 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 past like what you're supposed to say. Think about it. Like if if in fact, let's do it the other way. Yeah, what what often attracts on a very like human level somebody to becoming religious is that a religious lifestyle lend, tends towards a lot of those things, right? For instance, you have strong family formation more than in modern secular society. There's more of a sense of community. Um, things are imbued with a sense of uh, a, 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 a sense of purpose that is socially recognized, yeah? Um, now imagine, just imagine like you're living that life. Without any higher power. You There's could no even, you, what's that, what's that, See, here's the thing, here's the thing. And let's even add God into that. Okay. Where God, what's that, we're, we're gonna add God in a very specific way. And God is like ultimately the justification, the explanation, okay. So let's imagine you live life like that for the next 70 years. And you get married, you raise children and grandchildren, you have family, and you recognize the community, and you live in a whole thing. And then you discover, and then you discover that you were using the wrong edition of the Code of Jewish Law, and every single mitzvah you did was invalid. This is a hypothetical, it's not real. Would you say, ah, oh, what a waste? No. So it's not really about the, the connection to Hashem that is formed by the mitzvahs, it's about the way that has altered your human experience on the individual and social level, right? The fulfillment that you're getting is not that a mitzvah fundamentally connects you to Hashem, because it turned out you didn't do the mitzvah, right? Imagine a person puts on tefillin, this tefillin is easily happened. Imagine a person, person, person puts on tefillin for 70 years and then discovers that the tefillin were never kosher. If it's the mitzvah that connects you to God, well, they never did it. So, so, so in other words, what you're saying, what you're saying is, is that you just, you believe in like, in other words like this, like there's a level of social recognition we all need, but we all understand that getting recognition from another human being is of limited value. It, it creates, so I'm going to, so, but if you can believe like the infinite Zadie in the sky gives me recognition, well, then that's good enough. You're still just, in other words, it could be that the Torah lifestyle is providing you with some kind of fulfillment, but it's not the act of the mitzvah that's connecting you to Hashem that's so important to you. And let's do this conversely, yeah? What if the choice was that you could do mitzvahs, but your life would be utterly miserable? I don't know, let's do the whole, like, you know, go to like Soviet Russia thing, where like you sent to like a Siberian labor camp and you do mitzvahs, or you, you, you forego the mitzvahs and you try and build as like a fulfilling life as possible. Like it's not so, like, like a lot of times when we talk about the mitzvah connects you to Hashem, the part that we find that we feel invested in is not the mitzvah itself that connects us to Hashem, but the whole kind of lifestyle and culture 
and, 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 and community and that that's built around that stuff. Because those are very meaningful to human beings, right? Human beings having a sense of shared community and belonging and feeling like I'm doing something important and something that but other people that recognize. Like the same with, like, it's the connecting part, but, like, take Shabbos, for example. Like, how would a person live their life, like, not, not doing it the wrong way, but, like, the, the community and part of it that humans get out of it is just a side part of connecting to Hashem. But it's it, it's not a side part. It's something actually. It's something actually distinct from yeah, the mitzvah. It's all encompassing. So how could you say that they're two different things? Have you ever been stuck in the airport over Shabbos where there are no Jews around? No, but I've been stuck in airports in places almost. But imagine being stuck in the airport over Shabbos. And there's no Jews around. Yeah. Okay. Does it feel like you're getting everything out of Shabbos that you're supposed to be getting out of Shabbos? No. Now, are you incapable of observing mitzvah of Shabbos in an airport? No. So if it's the mitzvah that connects you to Hashem, is there any reason to like... The, the, one, the, the Rebbe's father was, was, in, was put in, in exile and there was a point in which there was no food. They just didn't have food. The Rebbe's mother writes in her diary, I, was, I looked at the Shabbos table and it was bare. There was, not, there was nothing, like nothing to put on the table. And I was very upset. It doesn't look Shabbos-thick. And then she writes, and I also probably was hungry. Because, <laughs> you know, when you're hungry, you get upset. Anyway, so the Rebbe's father finishes davening, which took him a long time, Friday night. And then he turns around and looks at the bare table and with a smile, he says, there's a special spice and Shabbos is its name. And he begins to start singing Shalom Aleichem like, like they had a full laden name. Like as far as he's concerned, Shabbos is Shabbos. He's celebrating Shabbos connected to Hashem. Like there is food, there isn't food. Like, like how does that change anything? In other words, very often when we say something, wait, I can, I can, I can, the thing that I find, like I teach, yeah? So you say, ah, oh, I value the Torah so much. But here's the interesting thing. Like this is the thing I, True about me, and true a lot of people who teach Torah for for a living, basically. You know what they discovered in COVID? Guess what people? I mean, it turns out they care a lot more about the social interaction of teaching than about the actual the actual mitzvah of sitting and learning Torah. Because it turns out, I'm speaking to a friend of mine, he says. He's, and he says about him, and I said, yeah, same thing. It's like you know, all of a sudden I'm sitting, and there's no shul, there's nowhere for me to go, and I, like there's no shear to give. And I'm just like, oh, I'm supposed to learn this stuff just for myself. And it's like, somehow it didn't seem as important anymore. <laughs> there's this way in which a lot of the stuff we find relevant is, is, the, is, 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 is the periphery of, of the mitzvah. It's not the mitzvah itself. And I don't mean to say this we should feel bad about it. I just think it's something to be honest about. Now, even if I then spend a lot of time contemplating how a mitzvah connects me to Hashem. I could come to a sense that that's absolutely true and that's absolutely real, but it's not going to necessarily make me want to do it because I could just feel like, what, what is it? This connection to Hashem, it's so profound. It's so lofty. Like, I'm not that kind of, I don't connect, I don't see myself in that kind of a spiritual way. I'm a human being. You know, I have my physical needs, I have my social needs, I have my intellectual needs, and that's it. You know, it's very much similar to a person who's, who, 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 who's like, can I have a sense? I can live my life without being wealthy. I mean, it'd be nice to be wealthy, but I'm not. I'm not that kind of person who needs to be wealthy. Most of us have a sense that, you know, I need, I need things in life that are other just like pure animalistic stuff. I need a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, a sense of community. Right? We need those things. 
And if we get them in Jewish stuff, that's great, that's wonderful. But do you really need to be bound up to the infinite by doing a physical act? Do you really need that as part of your life to live a fulfilled life? And the honest truth is that many people would say, like, I'm, like, like that's really beyond me. That's not, that's not who I am. You know, if, 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 if my, 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 I, can, I can feel fulfilled with much less than that. So does it make it any less true that it's happening? Does it any make it any less important? Not necessarily, but does it make it important to me? And by the way, I might even feel a little bit embarrassed by that fact that it turns out I'm a lot shallower than I thought, right? And that might even make, it, make me feel like I should at least do the mitzvahs because like, it, like, you know, it doesn't cost that much. not that hard to do a mitzvah, right? Just a physical action. You'll say the bracha, do this thing. But at the end of the day, it's not my thing. It's not something I'm invested in. It's not something I genuinely care about, right? And by the way, there are a lot of things in life like this, okay? That are not like, just go out of Judaism for a second. Are there things that are really important to do that you don't particularly feel, find fulfilling, but you recognize they're nonetheless really important to do, and so you do them anyway? But you don't really feel like they're, like, if, if it turned out like you didn't have to do it, it'd be like, fine. It's not your thing. It's not something that you, that you need for your fulfillment, but this is the way the world works and it is pretty important. I'll give you an example, okay? Um, one, of, one of the things that a lot of people have to do, um, they have, to, they have to do things that are civic in nature. So I'll give you an example from Minnesota. One of the things that people have to do is they have to um, um, shovel the snow on the sidewalk in front of their house. Why do you have to do that? In Minnesota, there's the snow. Why do you have to shovel the snow in front of the sidewalk? In front of your house? So people can walk. Now, imagine what happens. You don't shovel the snow, right? It's hard to walk. Even worse, the snow starts to melt and then refreezes. It's dangerous. Someone slips. Someone get hurt. Is that okay for just to like, just to like ignore that fact? Mm-hmm. No. So if you have any sense of decency, what should you make sure that you do? Shovel the snow. Shovel the snow. Like, right? That makes sense? Do you like feel like you need to, like, that that's like something that you're personally invested in, that's part of your life, like you need to go shovel the snow? Like, it's an important, it's something in there, out there in reality, it's real, it's important, and you're not hopefully so callous a person to completely ignore that, right? But at the same time, that's not something that you're emotionally invested in. What would be an example of something that the average person probably is emotionally invested in? Family. Family, right? Let's, let's go with family, so contrast, right? <laughs> so shoveling the snow so that some stranger doesn't fall and slip. I mean, look, okay, I understand it's important. I get it. It's not a theoretical thing. It really is important, and I really will go do it, but... I'm just, I'm accepting that this is an important thing to do and so I'm going to do it, right? There's a certain level of decency in that, a certain level of, of like, you know, just, just, just being a mensch. But that's not like I want to go home and spend time with my children. That's not like I'm afraid if I hear that my child got hurt, what's going to happen to them, right? I'm not emotionally invested in that the way I'm emotionally invested in my family. See, those are very different things. Okay. So yeah, there's one person who like the whole question of like does mitzvah connect to Hashem is just like an academic there's information. Do you understand? Not understand? The only thing a person might actually really have reflected on it and contemplated it and gotten to the point like it's true. Connection to God happens through doing the mitzvahs. 
and therefore, and connection to God is, is connection to the infinite, and it's infinitely important, but they just feel like, I don't need the infinite. Maybe God, won't, it's important to God that I do these things, and so I will do them, and it's important, it fills the creation of the world, and blah, 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 but it's not something that I need for my life to feel fulfilled. And so when the person does those things, they're doing them out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of principle, out of a sense this is what's proper, what's right. They're acknowledging the truth of it, but they're not emotionally invested in it. Does that make sense? Okay. Then there's a way where a person contemplates and they uncover within themselves a place where they need a connection to God. They need that. And if they get to that place, then doing the mitzvahs is not about simply doing the right thing and the proper thing. It's not coming from a place of principle and decency. Now it's coming out of a genuine emotional drive, right? I, 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 I need to be close to Shem and this is the only way I can fulfill my need, right? I can't be separate this is this, so I have to be careful to avoid these things, right? It becomes personal. It becomes something that belongs to me. Right? So you see a contemplation can have these two very different effects on a person. One is to simply get them to realize the truth of something, the goodness of something, the importance of something. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it becomes something that, that's theirs. That, that's something I need for my life to feel fulfilled. Questions? So then what do you do? What? So the thing is, level one of contemplating the greatness of Hashem, which is not actually explicitly mentioned in Tanya, if you contemplate the greatness of Hashem, the first thing that it will do is, remember we spoke about what contemplation really is, right? It's not, a simple, it's not easy. But if you do it regularly, consistently, the first effect that it's going to have is it's not going to make you love Hashem. And it's not going to make you fear Hashem. What is it going to make you realize? That Hashem is very, very important. Hashem is very, very real and his will really, really, really matters, and he seems far beyond anything I could ever have a relationship with. So it doesn't make you feel any kind of connection to him on the one hand, but it also makes you feel like the right thing to do would be to live your life as he dictates. That's not love of Hashem, that's not fear of Hashem. That's a basin's acceptance of the reality of Hashem. Okay? Right? It's like a person, really, it, 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 there's a reality here. The reality is of God and he's infinite and this is the... Yeah. But what if you can get past that stage and you, 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 you can unlock a part of yourself where, you start to realize, where it starts to be not so much that Hashem is real, right? And it's not a joke and, and, and it becomes actually that, that Hashem is, 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 is personally relevant to me. Hashem is meaningful to me. I need a relationship with him. You start to discover that there's something, there's something in yourself that can only be fulfilled with a connection to Hashem. And at that point, you start developing feelings of love and fear towards him. A desire to be with him, a fear of being separated from him, etc., etc., etc. What brings you to the idea that it's necessary for you to have a relationship with Hashem from contemplation? Oh, that's where the godly soul comes in. Oh. In other words, the godly soul what ends up happening is you're getting to a deeper level of the godly soul. So the first thing that happens is that the, through the contemplation is that your godly soul's just innate awareness that Hashem is real and not a fantasy comes through. But you, as a human being, just still feel like a human being and so you don't feel a, you don't feel a personal need. I mean, it, it, it's really funny, yeah? Do you, 
Do you really need, how much money do you need? Like really? Enough to live. Enough to live. So let's give an order of magnitude. You want a house? <coughs> Car? Two cars maybe? Pay for your children's education? Vacation once or twice a year? Right? Not have to worry about how you're paying your bills. Yeah? Okay. Enough money to donate to things that are important in the community? Okay, so how much money is that? Order of magnitude. Totally per situation. Pick like, like seven hundred. No. <laughs> is it more than a, is it more than a hundred thousand dollars a year? Yeah. Is it more than ten hundred? Is, is it more than a million dollars a year? No. So it's somewhere. It's somewhere in that order of magnitude. Okay. So we're talking about you know, right? We're talking about a few hundred thousand dollars a year income. If you could have reliably that, like money's not an issue. Is it three hundred thousand? Is it five hundred thousand? Seven hundred thousand? Like we could, like whatever. Okay, fine. Yeah, good. Okay. And at that point, you're just like you don't really like, for how you want to live your life. That's fine. Okay. How many friends do you need? A few good ones. A few good ones, and then a few, and then yeah. a larger circle of casual ones, right? Yeah. Order of magnitude, please. Order of magnitude. A few good ones means less than ten. Or more than 10? Less than 10. Casual friends? Okay, 10. 10, like people that you know you see um, socially, like you're comfortable with, wider circle? Like 30. 40. 30, 40. Okay, I would say you're probably, you're cl- probably closer into the 100, 200 range. Okay. If you start thinking about all the different kinds of... Okay. Um, you see how like, you can go through all of your different things and you can, you can find like how much you need. Do you really feel the need to connect to the infinite? As a human being. 40. You see what I'm saying? Like, like, and so like, if the godly soul first comes out through the contemplation, there's an awareness like the infinite is real. The infinite is making demands on me. The infinite has expectations of me. And so it's really important to do those things. But notice the way, the, the way that's phrased. It's really important. It's a much deeper expression of the godly soul when you awaken a sense of, I need the infinite. I can't be separated from the infinite. At that point, like all those discussions about money and friends and all... it loses its significance because it's the finite compared to the infinite. And the point is that, that that, it's only at that point can we talk about a person really say that they really love Hashem or they have fear of Hashem. Because it's only at that point that they have an emotional investment in Hashem. And that's a big change. And it takes a lot of contemplation to get there. And you're not going to get to that place of loving Hashem through contemplation if you don't get first the place of like the, the sense that the infinite is real and making demands on me. Even though I don't feel the need for the infinite. So there's that in-between stage between just like living your regular life and recognizing, oh, Hashem is real. He, he put infinite value in putting on tefillin. So even if I don't see the value, but that's infinitely important. I better do it. Not that I feel the need to do it. Not that I feel the urge to do it. Not that I feel invested in doing it. But it's important. And only then does a person get a deeper sense of the, this reality that it's, it's something that I need. Their, their soul becomes unlocked even more. Okay? At that, this is something that every Jew, not all Jews, all the time, but most Jews, most of the time, can get to through a lot of hard work. There was a rabbi named Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. Um, one time he was waiting all night in order to do the mitzvah of an esrog, 
Why was he waiting all night to do the mitzvah of an Esrog? So we don't do this early as possible. But why? Do you remember being a little kid and knowing that you had a, like a, a, like a, a fun trip or something happening tomorrow? Were you able to sleep the night before? No. Why not? So excited. You're so excited. Remember, the Yitzchak was so excited to shake Lulav and he literally could not sleep. And he was up all night waiting, 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 waiting. And then what happened? Remember being a little kid? And they finally say, we're leaving. We're going now. Right? What happens to all the kids? They get really excited and they start running around. Okay. So what happens as Rebbe Yitzchak sees the sun go over the horizon? And it's now time for the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrik. He grabs the Lulav. He grabs the Esrik. He does the mitzvah with tremendous enthusiasm and excitement. He's so, like, like, much like a kid. And then he realizes that his left hand is, is pouring blood. Because he forgot that his Esrik was behind a glass case. How intense does the desire to be connect to Hashem through a mitzvah have to be to get you to that kind of a place? You have to, it's not just I'm motivated, I care. It's already that stage where it's visceral, right? Like the kid. So what, what we're describing is where a person contemplates the point where they feel like I need to connect to Hashem. I cannot be separate from Hashem. This is something that means something to me. I really, really important. And yet they don't get to that point of getting physically excited, their heart racing. It's something above and beyond just a state of feeling it's important and principled. It's a personal investment on the one hand, but it's not that, it doesn't have that tangible emotional intensity of like a full-fledged emotional experience on the other hand. In other words, it's very similar to like the feelings of a person running their own business. They're very emotionally driven and motivated, but they're not really in a highly emotional state. And the altar was saying, if a Jew contemplates, it could be that their soul can't get past that point. That the best they can feel is that I really need to be connected to Hashem. I really need to desire Hashem. This is something that matters to me. I need the mitzvahs. But they don't necessarily feel it with that level of emotional intensity. But it's not, a, but it's not something that they're principled about. Okay? Now, does this sound something that you could realistically get to? Does this sound something that's easy to get to? It, it should sound not easy, but realistic. That if a person really worked on contemplating the greatness of Hashem, they could get to a point where something in them feels like, this is important to me, I need this on some level. And that genuinely motivates them. But they're not necessarily getting to like the Rebbe Leviyetz where they're like, you know, grabbing the lul of an asterisk through the glass case. Okay, so what we want to know is understand is like what is happening there? What, what exactly is happening? The person contemplates and they've gotten past the stage where it's just they recognize the truth of it, the acknowledgement of the reality of something, but they're not getting to the place of full-fledged emotional intensity. What's, what's happening? And that's what he's going to describe. What? Lack of well, we actually said that it has to do it, 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 it has to do with their soul, right? Their soul not being sufficiently developed. Um, and what he's actually going to argue is that it's not really a lack of das. It's a lack of the soul's ability, and so the das component will still be there. Right? In other words, that there's everything. Everything. 
everything that the emotion gets us about being connected to something is going to be there, but the intensity of the emotion, the visceralness, the tangibility, the physicality of emotion is going to be lacking. So wouldn't that be lack of dose? No, no. What a lack of das would be where it's not, where it doesn't personally matter to me. In other words, like this. If, going back to, remember, so I said, like, what, what's important about doing connects you to Hashem? And I said, there's three ways. One way is you understand that idea. And that's an interesting idea. You can explain and talk about it. That's zero das. Then there's a level where, like, no, it's real. It's true. It's important. It makes demands on me. But again, it's making demands on me. That's having some degree of das, some degree of connection. But then something happens where it's not, it's making demands like, I need, I need, I need a connection to Hashem. And, and I need that connection that can only be found through a mitzvah. The minute that's something that is genuinely motivating a person, they have das. But maybe it's just not complete das because it's not getting them to act. No, 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 no. It's for sure going to get them to act. If it doesn't get you to act, you haven't even gotten to the second level. Something that you, in other words, even on the second level, you acknowledge that it's real, gets you to act. It just doesn't get you to have an emotional investment in what you're doing. Going back to that thing about like, you know, plowing the, plowing the uh, snow on your sidewalk, right? Like you recognize it's an important thing to do and you, therefore you go and do it. But you're doing it is kind of fulfilling, uh, fulfilling a duty. It's principled. It's the right thing to do. It's not your thing. But if it's already your thing, then you have the dots. It's just that it's not having that effect on your physical experience of living. It doesn't act creating that emotional intensity. And that's what he wants to explain. Like, what is happening? What's not happening? How problematic is this really? Okay. Wait, the, the, the becoming your thing is not, it's dependent on the level of your soul? You no, that doesn't matter. Whether it becomes a physical, emotional experience becomes a... So go back to like a person who's, who's running their own business. Is that their thing? Do they have an emotional investment into it? There's a love, there's a fear, but that, are they feeling an intense emotional experience physically? Generally not, right? That's not how people are running their, 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 their business. By the way, how effective would you be at running your business if every time you realize you're about to make some money, you would go ecstatic, and every time you realize you're about to look, you would like fall into this, this, this deep, sad, like you wouldn't be an effective person running your business. Okay. So it's important there to differentiate between two levels of two aspects of the emotion. One is how connected you are to something. And the other is how physical that is, how, how much is that physically experienced? The difference between that second level and the third level is not in the second, is, is not in whether you're connected, whether it matters to you, whether it's important to you. The difference is in how you experience it. Do you experience it very, very physically or not very physically. But the difference between the first level and the second level is a difference about your connection because in the first level, it's, it's important and it's real, but it's not your thing. It's God's thing. It's the universe's thing. It's the reality of things. It's not my thing. Okay? And this requires, obviously, us to be, have a little bit of honesty about what we're actually experiencing. Okay, so let's summarize. There is a person who would feel completely fulfilled as a human being without a connection to God, even though they understand everything we learn. That's a person who has like no, the contemplation just isn't having any effect on them at all. They're not doing it properly. Something's off. Then there's a person who's contemplated the greatness of Hashem and has gotten to them to the place where they realize that Hashem is real. Hashem is important. 
he places infinite significance on things. And therefore, even though they don't feel themselves a connection to that, they don't feel an investment in that, they feel that they have to still deal with that reality. And so will they act in accordance with the will of God? But it will become from a place of submission, acceptance, duty, principle, not an emotional investment. If they keep contemplating, they unlock in themselves their inner need to be connected to Hashem, their inner fear of being separate from Hashem. And at that point, the doing the mitzvahs and the avoiding of sin becomes something that they're personally invested in, that they care about. And at that point, we can say they're having an emotional relationship with Hashem that's manifest in their Judaism. But does that necessarily mean that those emotions are experienced in that very physical, tangible way that we spoke about in previous classes? No. And then there's a level where it actually gets that emotional, intense experience. And our discussion going forward is why, did, not why, we know why, it has to do with the soul. But what is the, what is, how problematic is it if I get to the place where I'm emotionally invested, I care, it's something that's, that's mine, it's, it's something that I'm not just doing it out of a principle or correct on the one hand, but on the other hand, I'm not feeling that kind of emotional intensity physically on the other hand. Like how problematic is it? And if it is problematic, what's the solution? What's the workaround? What's the band-aid to fix that? Because ultimately it has to, right? Wait, can anyone reach level three? Everyone can reach level three. Not everyone can reach level four. I, although I changed the, or, the number, it depends what you count. <laughs> Zero level is level. Okay. What? Level four. Level four. Oh, no, because I, I went back and I actually no, just counted. I, 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 what, what I originally called level three, I just called level four because I mentioned there's somebody who like has no, it's just, it's just understanding. So you, not everyone preaches. Right. So academic, so like this, there's the academic understanding of something. That's basically meaningless. Then there's contemplating the point where I recognize the reality of it. We'll, we'll call that level one. That's level one of like the contemplation actually working. But on that level... Are you, are you having any kind of an emotional response? No. But you have recognized the reality of something, the significance of something, and that makes demands on you. Right? Then the second le- level where, where, is where you actually, the contemplation makes, brings you to a place that you don't want to be separate from Hashem. You want to be connected to Hashem. You need this relationship. But... And so it's, it's genuinely motivating you on the one hand, but it's not something you physically experience in a visceral and intense way in your body. And then there's the third level where it actually affects your, your body in a very tangible way, right? You feel it in your guts. You, can, you cry, you, you laugh out of joy, right? You, you, I don't know, you run to the mitzvah without even thinking about it, right? That kind of stuff. Can most Jews most of the time get to that second level? But many Jews will never be able to get to that third level because the soul is undeveloped. And so the question is, how problematic is that? So the question, and, and like, how do you work around that? So we have to really understand what, what's going on between the mental state of contemplation and the emotional state, what's getting stuck, what's not getting stuck. Somebody here proposed the idea, maybe it's a lack of das. And we're going to see it's not a lack of das. You're not less connected. That's going to be a key thing that we're going to see. You're not less connected to something because it doesn't produce that, that response because that, that, that has to do with the level of the soul. So then what is the deficiency of the fact that the emotions don't have that level of intensity?
Isn't yeah. it an issue, like, in, I guess this is a question, like, in manifestation, like, being on level two versus level three? It, it, that's what we're going to try. That's what, this go, that's what he's going to be talking about. Like how problematic is it? And, but what I want everyone to understand is that in order to really get what's happening in the chapter, you have to have a sense of the difference between just having like information in your head versus a sense that something is real and it's a good thing, but it's not your thing versus like you were personally invested in it versus having like a full-fledged emotional experience. Those are different. And if we conflate those things, then we don't even understand what he's talking about. Okay. Do you look forward to doing mitzvahs because they're mitzvahs? If you look forward to doing mitzvahs, you look forward to doing mitzvahs because they're mitzvahs, what level are you on? Three. Three. If you think it's important to do mitzvahs, even if it's really, really inconvenient, it has a high cost, but, you're, but it's important to do them anyway, what level are you on? Two. See the difference? In both cases, the mitzvah's getting done, but it's coming from two very different places inside you. Right, going back to most of us, when we're well, going back to this, like, most of us, our relationship with, wealthy, with, with wealth is like, if it's given to us, we'll take it. We have no doubt about how good it is on a material level to be wealthy, but do we feel that we need to be wealthy? No, and if we did, it would cause us to live our life very differently. Right, we'd make different decisions about it, right? Okay, so now what we're gonna do is we're gonna go back in the text now that we're somewhat oriented about like the different levels of the psyche of a person can reach and, and read the text and try and be sensitive to what he's saying as we go through step by step. Okay, so, but the love is hidden in one's brain and in the recesses of one's heart. So that's already interesting. How many, he puts, he, he places the love where? In the brain and in the heart, right, okay. So first off, let's talk about what does it mean the love is hidden in one's brain? Okay. So um, the brain is the part of us which is supposed to like relate to re the reality of things. So it's supposed to be a little bit more objective. So would you expect the love to be present in the brain or would you expect the love to be present in the heart? heart. In the heart. Okay, so that, that thing's, what does it mean the love is present in the brain? So the, 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 the idea is like this. We have um, what Hasidus calls the emotions that are contained within the intellect. Now, here's the rule. If the emotions are contained in the intellect, and we're gonna, are they emotions or are they intellect? Intellect. Intellect. But you still feel that. You still One second. Still emotions, the rule is going to be like this. It's very important. When something is contained in something else, this is a general rule in like the metaphysics of, of, of reality. When something is contained in something else, it is the something else. Okay? I'll explain to you what I mean. I have this cup here, right? If I put coffee in the cup, is the coffee really contained in the cup? If by the cup I mean the physical paper. Yes. No. The coffee is in the space where the physical paper isn't, right? There's a void where there's no physical paper. And that's where the coffee is, right? If I think of the cup in a different sense. but right. So where the paper is, the coffee isn't. Where the coffee is, the paper isn't, right? For the very simple reason that two things can't occupy the same space. 
Okay? If you are, let's use this a very intuitive idea. If you're imagining a cup of coffee, where is that cup of coffee? It's in your imagination, right? So now I'm gonna ask you, the cup of coffee you're imagining, is it a cup of coffee or is it imagination? Which of the two is it? It's imagination, right? When something is contained in something else, it's somehow an aspect of that thing, right? Which is why, like, if you want an actual, if you want to actually drink a cup of coffee, the one in your imagination will not help you very much. Okay. So if we say that the emotions are contained in the intellect, it's an aspect of how the intellect is functioning. It's not really an emotion. So you can ask, well, why are we even calling it emotion? And the reason we're calling it an emotion, we'll go back to, why would you say the cup of coffee in your imagination, why do you call it a cup of coffee? It's not a cup of coffee. You can't drink it. It doesn't help you stay awake if you're tired. It doesn't have a caffeine content. So why do you call it a cup of coffee? If you're imagining a cup of coffee, why, would you call, why are you calling that a cup of coffee? It's not a cup of coffee. It's just a figment of your imagination. Why do you call it a cup of coffee or whatever else you're imagining? Because that's the way you see that. That's right. It, 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 it has a similar appearance. So are there parts of the intellect that seem to be similar to the emotions? And so what would you call the parts of the intellect that seem in some way to be similar to the emotions? You call them emotions. the emotions within the intellect, but they're not really emotions. What are they? Their intellect. Okay? So what are the emotions in the intellect? What? The, yeah, but what are they? But the intellect has a lot of different aspects to it. Okay. Um, so we'll, 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 we'll use the following example. Let's say somebody is guilty of a, somebody is guilty of a crime. Should they be punished? Yes or no? What a, crime. <laughs> a very, very heinous crime. Then yes. Then yes. Okay. <laughs> what? They should be punished, yeah? Okay. Is that an intellectual conclusion or an emotional conclusion? That's intellectual. Why is it intellectual? Why is it not emotional? It's contributing to account an act that was done and thought about the result. They need the result. Emotions are very much about... What? Emotions are very much about how you feel towards something, right? That's why I said in the abstract. Now, if I fleshed out a case... And really, like, did like more of like a, with a narrative form, and got you to empathize with the victim, right? And then, right? And then you're like, oh, that guy is so bad; he should be punished, right? That's much more of an emotional response, right? Okay. But at the end of the day, the fact that you you concluded that person should be punished that is similar to emotion. In what sense is that similar to an emotion? Emotions do what? They, they make you react to things in very specific ways, right? For or against. When you reach the kind of conclusion that this person should be punished, that's kind of similar to how an emotion works, right? In other words, you could like take a totally different approach. You could just take the approach of like trying to understand the criminology of like 
of like why a person commits a crime and what does that say about the human condition, about society. Like you could just like totally take a non-judgmental approach to the entire topic, right? Just somebody committed a heinous crime and really understand that and all the different facets and varieties with ever coming down to a sense of this person should be punished, right? You have to use your mind in a very specific kind of way to reach that conclusion, right? And so you've adopted a kind of emotional-like approach to it where you are trying to make a judgment about how you should react to the thing. You see how those are two very different things? Okay. Have you ever had a, been in a class where you're learning an idea and someone, and so you know, like this may happen in this class, right? You're describing something, something, but does that mean we should X? Or it's not okay to do Y? And the teacher says, well, we're not, we're not talking about what you should or shouldn't do. We're just trying to understand an idea. If you're just trying to understand an idea, you're trying to understand reality just on its own terms. If you're, if you're trying to understand something in a way that's leading you to make a judgment, then it's not, then, it, then it's, a very, it's a very unique use of your intellect. It's an, it, using your intellect in a way that is very emotional-like. Emotion. But it's still not emotion. You're not emotional. You're just saying, the, the reality is, like, this thing should be punished, right? And you have now a full conviction this person should be punished. So do you feel any anger or hatred towards them? But have you condemned them in your mind? So you see how that's, you see like, it's, it's not emotional, right? in the sense of like how I feel and what I want and what I desire and that kind of stuff, but it, it's, but it has a similarity to emotion. Okay, so let's take about something positive, okay? If you were to think about something and realize that this thing is really good, it's really good. I should have a deeper connection with this thing. If you intellectually realize that in a genuine way, I should have a deeper connection with this thing. My life would not be complete without this thing. I really need more of this thing in my life. As you're coming to that realization, are you engaged in emotions or are you engaged in the intellect? It's intellect because you understood that it's something that you want to cope. Right, but it's clearly emotional because you're getting into that kind of like this, this, this judgment thing, right? Okay. So what do you call it when your mind has become convinced that you should have a closer connection with something? That would be the right thing. That would be the appropriate thing. That would be what, what really needs to happen is you to have a close relationship with someone or something. We can't really say you feel love because you don't feel love, but we can't really say you don't have love because you feel a, because there's a kind of an attraction. So what do we call that? We call that love hidden in the, in the intellect, in the mind. One time, um, one of the Bachram in Yeshiva asked me if I love God, which I thought was like a very like uncomfortably personal question. And I, I really didn't want to answer the question, but I decided I should do so anyway. So I was trying to think, like, what am I going to say? Like, I, do I actually feel love for God? Mm, I don't know. That's maybe. Do I not feel love for God? I was like, mm, I don't know. Maybe. So I was trying to think of what's the best way to answer. And I came up with the following answer is I'm a big admirer of God. Now, what, if I were to use the English word to admire somebody versus to love somebody, what would be the difference between those two things? If you admire somebody, you have a positive view of them? Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense that it would be good to be closer to them, have a bit more involvement in your life, right? Yeah? 
Is that the same thing as like feeling here the urge and need to be with them? No. So that might be a way of describing what we mean by love in the mind. Now, I'm not going to say that all love in the mind is admiration. I'm just saying, like, recognizing that some things really are not emotional at all. They're more of a sense of, like, this is the, this is the truth, this is the reality. But that truth, the reality, carries with a judgment and a judgment that actually pertains not just to, just to me. Like, sense, like, this person should be punished. I should punish them because, I don't know, I'm in the social position. I judge whatever. But in the case here, we're talking about Hashem. Now... This goes, this is very important, right? There's understanding that idea in an academic sense and there's where you actually have come to that conclusion. Like that is really your mindset. Okay? Um, have you ever gotten to a political discussion with somebody that um, has different political views than you? Do those conversations usually go very well? Why not? It's not intellectual. It's not intellectual. The conversation is not intellectual. Yeah. Why not? Emotional. Too much more? What? Very emotional. Like, other side has obviously in and it's why. Like, I'm just trying to push their agendas. Oh, so, so I want to say it like this. It doesn't start off that emotional. The thing is like this. If my starting premise in the conversation is already that level of the emotions within the intellect, my, in other words, my already, I have certain convictions, I have certain views, right? I have a sense, this is really wrong, right? I've come to the sense within my mind that this is wrong, this is not okay, this should not be allowed, right? And you have come to the sense that this is, re- the same this, is really, really important and has to happen. We can't have a discussion that's intellectual anymore, right? Now, what if we were to back up, instead of talking about and started having discussions starting with where, starting with the kinds of conclusions we've reached in our minds, but rather the stuff before that, before those conclusions, then can we have a productive conversation? Yeah? Okay. So let me give you a concrete example. Okay. I'm going to use this simply because it's an easy example, and I'm just using it because it's an example. I realize it's controversial, but it's just an easy example, okay? So let's say you have two people. One is, as they say, pro-life, and one is, as they say, pro-choice. So one person thinks that it's absolutely a moral imperative that women should be able to have abortions whenever they think it's appropriate without any kind of interference, oversight, or whatever, right? And the other person thinks that it is an absolute moral wrong that a woman should take the life of their unborn baby, except in the most possibly extreme circumstances. Okay. If your starting premise are those two points, can you have a discussion? Yeah. Okay, what if we take a step back? What if we say, okay... Do you value um, the, do you see that there's a value in human life that's, that goes beyond just the quality of life, but like there's kind of an intrinsic value in, in, in human life? So for instance, that somebody, for instance, who's in a coma should not just be like, have their life terminated because they're drained on the resource, right? You have a, some kind of a sense that there's a value in life and that value of life is something that society needs to respect, Yeah. Do you have a sense that, that human autonomy is an important, both instrumentally, right? without autonomy, we don't function well, and it's part of the dignity of a human being? Can you have the discussion on that, that level and come to realize that there's some complexity about like, how to deal with that in the situation of an unwanted pregnancy? And could then those two people have a discussion? But they have to back up to the level of 
the intellect functioning on the level of exploring reality rather than the intellect coming to a conclusion about what needs to be or what shouldn't be. Does that make sense? It's really helpful for people to take that step back and like yes. take your emotions, yes. your preconceived emotions back. 100%. This is, this is if you want to know what a yeshiva bacha is trained to do during learning Gemara for eight, six, whatever, however many day, that's what you're trained to do. Um, you are trained that you are to always be able to, under, to, to go back a step. Well, why would you think that? Why would that make sense? Okay, now the other side of the room, if you concluded that, what would you have to assume? Well, how that makes sense? Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Which is why, have you ever asked a rabbi a question? And then they're like, well, see, it depends. It's not so simple. Okay. On the other hand, once you, if you go the other route and you're like, okay, given this, this, and this, this is morally wrong. This is morally right. If your starting place is that conclusion, then there's no room to have a discussion. Okay, so you see how your mind like, can operate in two very different directions? One is it's trying to be in this kind of more explorative state, right? See things, understand things, go back a step, look at it from a different angle. And if you keep doing that, you never reach a conclusion. You could take the worst criminal, by the way, and if you continue to explore and think about it, could you come up with all sorts of reasons why this person should not be condemned? This person should be pitied, this person should be, have compassion, right? But if you take an approach of trying to come down to a viewpoint, to a sense of this is right, this is wrong, I'm in favor, I'm against, then once you're there, you're kind of stuck there and it is very similar to an emotion even though it's not really emotional, even though it's really about your perception of reality, your understanding of things, okay? So when, what does it mean when it says that the love is hidden in one's brain? The person's contemplated the greatness of Hashem to the point that they have become convinced of what? What do they become convinced of? They thought about the greatness of Hashem and they thought about it, they thought of it, contemplated it, and they become convinced of what? Reality. No, then that would not be love. What? It's important to me. It is important. It, 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 so I want to, I want to, yeah, but I want to rephrase it. I want to be clothed. It, Hashem is the kind of being that if I have in my life, my life would be fulfilled and without my, it, my life would. Do I actually necessarily feel that way emotionally? But I become convinced of that, right? In other words, I become convinced that a life without God is not really a life worth living. And a life with God is the only life worth living. If you've become convinced of that in some real way through your contemplation, then do you love Hashem? Yes, but what kind of love is it? It's a love that's in the mind. It's a love in the borrowed sense of the word love. It's not really that you are feeling that. By the way, and if that's your starting point, you have a conversation with a person who's like not into God, are you going to have a productive conversation? No, no you're going to just speak past each other. Okay. But is, then he says that does the love just stay there or go somewhere else? It goes into the recesses of one's heart. So does this love just stay like a, a value system, a kind of a, a viewpoint, a perspective? that you genuinely hold, or has it become something more genuinely emotional? See how the text says, it says it starts off in the mind and then goes into the heart. So what we'll do in the next class is we're gonna start talking about what's the recesses of the heart as opposed to like the heart in the, in the classic sense we were talking up until now, okay? One of the reasons why people fail in contemplation 
is they maintain too much um, too much distance. They're too exploratory. They're too just thinking about the thing without actually trying to come down to some real conclusion, some sense. Okay? And what we'll talk about a little bit later as we go, for, go in the text is the two different mindsets between really trying to understand something for the sake of understanding it versus understanding something for the sake of having a view on it, an opinion about it, a vantage point on it. Because it's at that point you really have emotions within the intellect and that's going to be critical to developing this love. Right? It's kind of the opposite of academic objectivity. Okay. okay.